popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. Uh, we have Pete uh, from UCAS here. I think we know probably uh, quite a lot about UCAS so far, but responsible for partnerships. Yes, I understand. Yes, yes, um, And then we've got Kevin. And Kevin probably doesn't remember this, but between one o'clock in the morning <laughs> I do. and two o'clock in the morning, having had about three or four bottles of red wine. <laughs> yeah. He repeated the same thing over and over and over again. And this is the reason why I've asked Kevin to come and talk. <laughs> Basically, Kevin is the managing director of Pace. It's a small to medium-sized business, fast-growing. And he was saying, <laughs> he was saying how... Um, uh, everything he's going to do, uh, so much of what he's going to do is, is about recruiting apprenticeships. So you're going to use this as the central focus for growing your business. So um, Jason's background has been very much involved with the small to medium-sized business community. So we have the connection between the pressure upon smaller businesses to set up apprenticeship programs. We've got Kevin, who is the managing director, himself also going through the master's as well. So he's put himself as an MD on the program. Then we have Sherry. And Sherry is here from Vodafone. Again, in the apprenticeship program and um, here representing the voice of what could employers do perhaps to make apprenticeships more attractive to apprentices on those sort of lines. So I've got a few questions that I'm going to pose to group just to get it started. But could you also if you've got any questions, this is your chance to kind of pose them of this um, illustrious group. So, first question, and I'm going to direct this towards Pete and, and Jason, I think, to begin with, which is how far ahead are companies planning their workforce requirements from your perspective? And are, you know, to what extent are apprenticeships featuring in those plans? So, I don't know. Can we get first, Jason? Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm sure employers will have their own short, medium and long-term plans, but 
by the time they get to UCAS and the employers that we deal with, uh, we see that they are they are engaging in activity throughout the admission cycle. So whether that is something like targeted media campaigns to raise awareness in the beginning, um, they are reaching out and talking to young people via getting an employer profile on UCAS.com. Um, perhaps they're advertising their vacancies on our career finder tool or um, our discovery events as well. So it's a year long process and different employers will be doing different things. Um, we, what we have seen an increase of is, um, and certainly one or two and increasingly more employers are doing with this uh, now, then they are planning their whole whole year, their whole recruitment year uh, at once and signing off on a re recruitment plan in August. So they have that activity going on all year. Um, and as I say, it's sometimes, depending on what they're doing with graduates, it will coincide with the admission cycle, slightly different for apprenticeships. But we are noticing that apprenticeships are in the mix there. And you can see at our discovery events, uh, traditionally exhibited at by universities, but there's a lot more of a presence of employers there. And they are not, they're exhibiting their graduate offers, but their apprenticeship offers as well. And, and apprenticeships making much more uh, a part of that mix. And an, another pretty good gauge as well, we can tell is on our Career Finder tool, and Career Finder, by the way, is our, is our jobs board, for graduate opportunities and friendship opportunities as well. Uh, then I look today and there are something in the region of three and a half thousand apprenticeship opportunities on there today. And to put that in perspective, there's 6,000 graduate opportunities. So you can really see that apprenticeships are, are well within that recruitment mix and employers are, are certainly making more of it. I think the answer is dependent on the, usually the size of the business. So smaller businesses tend to be a bit more reactive. So a bit more short term. What's really interesting is the, the importance of National Apprenticeship Week. So National Apprenticeship Week happens every year around February or March. Why is that? Is that traditionally that is when I guess young people, school leavers are thinking about what are the next steps. And that has begun to, I think, embed within the psyche of LND, of HR departments in, in organizations. Think, okay, well, we need to be ready for this next cohort uh, to, to kind of talent find uh, for, from that resource. And that also is beginning to be included in the, in the small business community. I mean, speaking of somebody who's, who is a small business employer, it's taking me six months to find good, good people. So before it might've been a few weeks, now it's a few months. So that cycle of around springtime, thinking about who do I want to come on board is almost becoming sort of aligning with the sort of the academic traditional uh, search for talent. So if organisations are wanting to recruit sales apprentices, are you suggesting that those organisations need to be represented at the uh, National Apprenticeship Week? Uh, well, National is a really great focus. So yes, I would advise that, that is a really great time to start thinking about okay. being present on the likes of UCAS as a, as a means to attract that talent. Sorry, any, any questions from the audience? Hi, it's Ben here from BLEO. Uh, just a bit of a question on that with... You say in the week is February, March time. Mm. I'm, I'm a, a father. My daughter's just submitting her application now to universities, uh, to go to a university. For an apprenticeship, though, would it not make more sense to do it now? Because my daughter's already going to be tied in by the time you get to February, March. A decision will be made. So doing it in February and March, in theory, you've probably already missed 60% of that population because already I've now, in my head, I've applied for my university. 
I'm waiting for my answer for my university. So it's a done. It's done. Does 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 that time, yeah. doesn't doesn't really make much sense to me if you if you're trying to stop people in effect from going to university to take this different different yeah. way of doing it. I mean, it's it's the nature of of apprenticeships. An apprenticeship is not anything other than it's a job. It's a job with a it's a work based learning, but it's a job. And of course, jobs come and go depending on what employers need. There's always, there's always going to be a natural tension there. I understand uh, as a father that that sort of that that dichotomy that you're talking about. I think eventually there are, there are going to be times where where uh, young people have offers from university, but they'll see another offer from an employer and there might be a bit more mobility in the system because they'll decide, you know, I'd much rather work for G, G, you know, GCHQ or Vodafone or Sharp and that might come only be apparent later on in the year. I think that's going to be a natural change, a natural shift. That's quite interesting for me because I'm from Germany. You can probably hear that. And apprenticeships are actually much more common than university, probably. Um, so for me, there was actually the opposite. So I actually had um, some, some university college lined up, but I chose to go into the apprenticeship over the... Um, so I think it's just really... Maybe it will change as well because people will realize, well, at apprenticeship, obviously you get educated as well as you can earn money. So I think we'll wait and see, but it's quite interesting, actually. It is interesting. Yeah. I, I often think about the term that I heard a few times, which is the apprentices have the unfair advantage to their undergraduate colleagues. The okay. unfair advantage. It is an amazing, as we've heard today, it is an amazing program. Kevin, would you like to comment as uh, an employer of apprentices? I mean, how do you how do you go about it? How do you start planning for it? And so, I guess um, from from my point of view, interestingly enough, when we when we set up uh, Pace in in nineteen, just just before nineteen, two thousand nineteen, um, our aim and ambition at the time was just to hire graduates for some of the reasons why the guys talked about. And you know, for me, it was it was always going to be about being able to train people, bring them through the process, you know, um, and uh, that for me probably was a, a better, uh, I guess, concept to actually work with. As we worked through that and as we worked, and, and again, I, I joined the, the Masters in 2020, started in 2020, um, we started to think a little bit more about apprenticeship and things like that. So these were, these were things we were thinking about, I suppose, at a, at a later stage. And the course uh, that I'm doing, the Level 7, has, has helped me think this maybe slightly differently, actually. Um, but the one thing I would say, maybe, maybe controversially, but the one thing I would say what probably stopped me doing the 7, Level 7 initially was probably the word apprenticeship, actually. I, I could see myself being, I'm 50 years of age and I'm, I'm an apprentice. You know, and that's the way I was kind of probably thinking about it. And actually, it is an interesting thing because if you go back into the ages in the UK, apprenticeships was very clear what that was. And I think we've just got something lost in translation. It's great to listen to what Katie was saying, actually, and learning a bit more about UCAS and that whole process. I think we have an education thing to do here with apprenticeships. But I also think it may be not so much pushing our ideas about this is the way it should be. We need to probably ask the, the youth what they want it to be called, potentially, because, because ultimately there's, there's definitely something lost in translation. But it's hugely powerful. I mean, we've started our first one, uh, and we have somebody who's done a degree and has gone into the apprenticeship level seven as well. So it, there's a mix here, and it's really interesting, mm -hmm. uh, the dynamic that PACE in particular are having right now in this space, mm -hmm. you know? And how would you find new apprentices? How, how would you go about finding them? 
Funny enough, Luke and I had this conversation recently, Evan Gonsalia, and this is a challenge for us. And it was great to, to come listening to try and maybe get some ideas of how we how we can do this. This would add a considerable advantage to us because we train our people directly ourselves. We've built training models over the last three or four years that will train people from scratch how to do what we do. Yeah, uh, and we're in a, an, an element of sales where we we deliver. Um, I guess, prox- uh, prospecting, sales prospecting excellence. So we, mm. we, we feel we've gone from a telemarketing process to this sales prospecting process. And um, the graduates, the interesting thing about the graduates, the, the challenge I get with this generally is, well, Kevin, we talk about a bunch of clients and I say, hey, they don't, they don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to WhatsApp people. They want to send messages, different things. And in fact, in reality, my only answer to this is they just don't want to talk to their parents. That's basically the size of it, right? That's the truth, right? Um, and I, I have again, kids that age, and, and they are outstanding. What they can contribute to the sales arena, especially if listen to Sharp, was very interesting, uh, that presentation. And what they can contribute is, is immensely important. And they have such great moral courage. And, and for me, this is a, a key part of how we build our business going forward. And the apprenticeship stuff for us is, is about how do we now plan for that properly as we go forward, you know? So, um, but I think as well, from the syllabus as well, it's very important that the, the, the sales process and the syllabus you go through that I've gone through and I'm coming to an end with Christine at the moment. So we're, we're getting to the end of it, but it's been a fantastic learning experience for me. Just opened okay. my eyes completely. It's amazing to have the MD of a company going through the process as well. Yeah. Sherry, Sherry, well, what are you hearing? What, what reflections have you got on what you've heard? And what, you know, yeah. are you worried about, about the term apprentice? And I somewhat had the same feeling as well. And when I first looked at Vodafone opening the sales academy, here's what's on offer. And now when I reflect, I think about my little sister. So she's now at, in college. And when they discuss options with her, it's actually not really discussed. I'm the one who's now talking to her about that as an option, mm-hmm. an apprenticeship. So I think that's definitely like, I don't know, it's a bit like a gray area that no one really talks about when there's so much potential and it could help a lot of people Mm. within that generation. It's really helped me. It's super practical. Um, I've actually taught my managers. I've had two roles throughout doing this degree. And through this all, I've actually taught them as well. And they've actually like thanked me, which was all very weird because I'm like, I'm the student. But I've actually brought back my learning to people within Vodafone and they've seen the value as well. And you're doing the level six, I think. Is um, that seven. Right? You're doing the level seven, so you're taking yeah. it back to your, your managers as well. Sorry. Yeah. I was reflecting on what's been said about this sort of, this notion of apprenticeships word, which has this sort of mixed feeling. I really, really resonate. So t- 10 years ago, almost to the day, there was a, a government review, the, the Richard Review, um, which led to the government reforms where there were 50,000 apprentices and now a million apprentices in the programme. You know, UCAS are doing everything. Game, but fundamentally, what was considered at that point, and I was involved at that time, was the word apprenticeship because it has all that donation of, of donation of electrician, plumber, carpenter, and it's even today, ten years on, as much as we see these other amazing programs, you know, degree level program, there still is this sort of slight prejudice, slight barrier mm. or perception we have. It will just take time, and it's uh, you know, I think Germany is is a wonderful example where it clearly has worked for centuries and. We just need to stay the course. There's always this, 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 uh, this saying that we, in Germany, they, they change system once every 300 years. We change it 300 times every year. <laughs> <laughs> so we just need to stay the course. And I think it will 
Hey, Vegas. Yeah, from Middlesex University. And I think um, I just want to echo that the uh, discussion on the uh, the term is apprenticeship, because um, in through some discussions with the, with some apprentices, they actually said um, and be labeled as apprentice at work because they are work based learning uh, at work. As uh, sometimes they feel people are not taking them seriously and do not allocate you know the 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 uh, more kind of challenging work to them. So they actually suffer as a result of that term. So I thought that's an interesting question. Can yeah. can we put that out to the to the audience? Is that something that anyone else has experienced? I'd say in PT we still value graduates over apprentices. Like to, to hit the manage the first rung of management. Yeah. And it's very it is stigma led, absolutely. Can and I do think it's breaking down, but it's it's almost the I think there's a fear from the employers and the managers that it's maybe an extra task. A, a graduate you can slip into the business potentially. That's a great point. Which is the you know the task of running an apprenticeship is is massive, isn't it? Um, can I can I get the panel's view on that about? about the effort it takes to run a successful apprenticeship program from your point of view. So I guess that would be yeah. Kevin and Jason, perhaps. Yeah, no, um, I think there is a lot more commitment there. I think, at, at, I guess with the graduate, you probably have that element of education that's already there. So you're going straight into training mode. You're going straight into work mode. Um, it's the commitment, I guess, with the universities uh, and, and doing that extra a little bit, and that's that educational process, yeah. not necessarily what we do, the job and, and the work. It's that educational process do you have to commit to? But it is worth committing to. And what's interesting as well is, you know, we've had somebody just start, Hanny, we just had the conversation about Hanny just starting um, in Middlesex as well. And he's at level three. I'm sure he's level level three. He's, he's going in at. And, and ultimately, for us, the interesting thing is that potentially over the next three years will create, create loyalty. I mean, a key thing for my, when I do my, uh, my work uh, that we're doing and finishing the project with Christine is basically about retaining people through coaching, you know, and, and in some, some way, shape or form, um, working down that apprenticeship route is another way of, you know, sharing and, and offering people something and, and hoping that you get that loyalty back because they'll stay with you for a couple of years, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's gold dust, especially for a company that's trying to build, you know, traction, mm. trying to build itself, you know. I'm not so sure the big guys, the big guns will see this because, you know, there's deep, deep pockets and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, for me, that's absolutely crucial, you know, and we've got to invest in the time with our people because that's what's going to drive the business going mm. forward, you know, and that's tactical. That's absolutely 100% on point. That's not strategy. That's tactical. These people will stay and they'll be loyal because they appreciate what you're doing, doing for them as well. Yeah, I, I completely echo that. And of course, there are organisations that are running successful apprenticeship programmes and they require an investment. You know, it's, yeah. it's no small, small thing to do. Um, the employers that we talk to um, when it comes to retention, they said one of their bill, biggest challenges is, is the retention of apprenticeships. And, and they, they say that that is to do with getting the right person on the right apprenticeship program and knowing that that apprentice or that apprentice knowing what they're getting into, exactly what being an apprentice is going to be like and what it's like to work at that organisation and what it's like to be on a 
level six digital marketer apprenticeship. And, and that's what they, is a real challenge. So I, I think it, it seems that there's a lot more that we could do, that employers could do to give people that are looking at apprentices a really good idea of what it's like to work at an organization and to be an apprentice. So they are ready for it. So they come to the employers knowing what they're going to be expecting. And I think the, you know, the, the retention rates on people's apprenticeship programs, which they spent a lot of money setting up, I, I think that will solve much of that problem. Can I just um, say something? So, Kevin, you, you've thought about bringing more apprentices in because of the attrition you've had with your graduates, yeah. though, isn't it? So I think it is important that while you're talking about the challenges with apprenticeship retention, that mm. there are similar challenges, if not higher challenges, with graduates who come in with higher expectations, yeah. almost, of what they want from their role. Yeah. Again, we go with that the great resignation. You know, it's, it's a really interesting debate for a for a, a company trying to progress through COVID and through a recession, and probably growing in in, the, in those times. So it's it's quite interesting. I I think the the, the sometimes you got to take a step back. It's very interesting. My program and, and and what we did with the 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 opportunity I I've had in particular uh, and engaging with Christine doing their project. I've had the the chance to talk to uh, Dr. David Drake, for instance, from the US um, about a similar thing, Louise, um, and really, you know, it, and it was quite interesting because he has a daughter that's 23 years of age. This is the famous narrative coaching, uh, uh, coach, Australian coach, and I had um, 30 minutes with him that lasted probably an hour and a half, and that was probably my fault because I just kept talking. <laughs> I don't, so, don't yeah. believe that for a moment. <laughs> 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 but interesting, he had, a, he, had a, he, had a, he had a tell process around this as well. And, uh, you know, and he had a thread around, the, 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 you know, maybe how you would coach and how you would mentor people around this as well. And, you know, and that's something I'm going to be writing about that Christine is going to be marking. Oh, <laughs> Those are really good, interesting points, I think. We'll look forward to the book as well. Yeah, nice. Oh, sorry. Book. sorry. Um, so it's what well, fascinates me. It's, it, for a small business, so I have a business that employs 40 people. And you've got to persuade, you know, managers that, you know, the, this is a disproportionate burden on a smaller business to take on an apprentice. Also to navigate the system, to find a provider mm. or a college that will support the apprentice. It is, it is a, a heavy burden. Once they buy, once they get on board, they never turn back. And it's well known that once, uh, once a business employs one apprentice, they continue and continue and take more and more. And more. What fascinates me is that 90% of businesses do not engage in apprenticeships, 90%. And of that 10% who do, the majority are levy payers. So the levy was the game change. 10 years ago, this, this Doug, the Richard Review I mentioned here. Yeah. So the levy, of course, meant that corporates had this pot of money that if they didn't spend, they would lose, and therefore let's spend it on apprenticeships, and hence the growth of degree apprenticeships and so on and so forth. Uh, we need to find a way to get more SMEs engaged. We need to find a way in which an, a, an apprenticeship in an SME is as cool as being an apprentice in Vodafone. And that's, that's the challenge. Yeah. Do you have any answers to that, Jan? Any ideas? We need to just build case study material. Case study. You know, that an apprentice in a smaller business will have far broader experience in different parts of a business. They're not, yeah. you know, I guess, okay. sort of siloed in one, in one part. And that experience, that breadth of health, of skills that they'll acquire is what we need to get across. Do you, Cass, have any ideas on how you can help us? 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, th this is a, a long game uh, to engage yeah. SMEs, and SMEs are typically fragmented. They don't all necessarily hang out in one place. They're a difficult group to talk to. Mm. And I think the large organisations that have apprenticeship programmes, and indeed are cool, as you say, Jason, um, have a lot to do with it as well, because they're blazing a trail, and hopefully that will sort of spread out to, um, to SMEs as well. But certainly we're, we're working with organisations such as the Federation of Small Businesses, for, for one, uh, to try and talk to them about apprenticeships, obviously what UCAS can do to help them um, within that field as well. But that whole general awareness raising piece um, and removing misconceptions. So we are getting our network out there. We are using other people's networks as well. But uh, yes, I feel it is a long game to do this, but I, I, can, I can see a point where we reach some kind of critical mass and, and uh, you know, that, that sort of 10% that we engage will significantly grow. But for small businesses, even though they're not levy pairs, they can still do the apprenticeship. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, completely. They have ninety percent. Is it ninety percent funding? Ninety-five percent. I was just yeah. about to yeah. to make a comment about that. Actually, I'm Jane. I'm from the University of Hertfordshire, um, so we're a training provider. I'm also an apprentice. Um, we started doing a lot of work with SMEs since the barrier was lifted for us to be able to provide support. And I think the biggest challenge that we face when we're talking to SMEs is that they're not aware of the um, co-investment. Um, so you can claim ninety-five percent of the total program cost from government and. When we tell people that and they don't know, it's like this light bulb goes off and, and everything changes from that moment. So it's about making the awareness more known about that funding. Yeah, yeah. and at a rate of, you know, for example, I think the Level 5 Operations Manager Apprenticeship, I'm, last time I looked, was something in the order of, of £7,000. 5% of, of that is not a massive undertaking for, for many SMEs. Uh, to, uh, that represents extraordinary value, really. But, you know, we'll okay. see what you get. It can be free, of course, because a levy pair can transfer some of the levy to their SME supply chain. So, for example, Lloyds Bank do a fantastic yeah. job. They have a whole department just transferring some of their levy that they don't use to their SMEs, and then it's no charge at all. That 5% disappears. So, so companies who have channel partners could use yes. some of their levy pot to help their channel partners go through the yeah. apprenticeship program. So go through the sales apprenticeship program. Can I ask a question for myself? So actually I didn't say where I was coming from. So um, I've, I'm just changing employer and my employer actually didn't know about the apprenticeship. I, I went out, I found it online and then I had conversations with Consalia and they convinced me to join and I'm so grateful that I did this. Um, and I actually wonder, you know, on the other hand, is an apprenticeship not actually almost like a collaboration where you can get training from outside, which helps you instead of it being a burden on the business, it actually mm -hmm. supports them, right? I mean, you have to invest time into this, of course, but I felt that I was actually contributing to the business whilst I was learning and I was, you know, not a burden on the business because I was doing an apprenticeship. The apprenticeships programs that have a training provider, which provide 20% of the training and the idea is that 80% is, is provided by the organisation. So, you know, to, to an extent, there is an external um, body coming in to do the training. I, I think that's what you're getting at, is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that does happen to an extent. But I think 
if you take less of the responsibility or less of the input from the organization, from, from the employer, then it might, it might stray too far from what an apprenticeship actually is, which is you know, learning whilst you're at work, the skills required to be a fantastic employee in your, your chosen sector and your chosen business. And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the, the instant productivity from a, a, an apprentice provides a business they, they employ is amazing. <laughs> So it's that it's just initial that I think perception is a is a big issue, but this notion of a twenty percent off the job training. So an employer needs to be prepared to lose you twenty percent of your time. And when I say lose you, you won't be working in your job. You'll be training um, outside your your work, and so that that is a commitment from from both sides. And for some employers, that that is a commitment they're not prepared to make, unfortunately. I think, I think the only thing I would say on that is, is that I don't think they even know to make a choice in, 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 my, in my sector and, and SMEs. Uh, I'm, I guarantee you that there's not many people who understand this and know this, you know, I have no idea. And, and they are approached by training organizations that maybe would share that information mm. and say, hey, we can do this for you. That's as much as they know, you know, because I had no knowledge of this whatsoever two years ago. So, and that's, and that's, and that's where we are because... At least you would have a decision if you have if you have an understanding that there's an opportunity like this out there for people. But you know, I don't think we've we've gone and, and informed the SME industry sector very well around this process, if I'm brutally honest. And and it is easy to go to the, the bigger organizations, the the, the enterprise. Yeah. I get that, completely get it and understand why. But I think there's, you know, a lot of that money that you get back to the government probably would still be with some of those SMEs if they had a choice. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Is there anything we can do to improve the apprentice experience? Um, I had a very good experience, but I think overall for me it would be more about the organisation. So I I changed roles within Vodafone during my doing the the whole experience, and each time I had to like re-educate the new the new manager and take them on that journey. It was the first time we've done this at Vodafone, so I guess that also played a role. But I think educating also those who have started to put people through the program for me to get access to this program my manager at that time had to fill in a form with me say that she would be completely supportive but that's kind of the most they get and then in life they don't know much how can we then promote it for the next set of people mm -hmm. so i think more education beyond just the student but with the organization as well Therese, do you have a comment to make about that um <laughs> i think um yeah, we, we've learned a lot over the time we've been delivering the, the two programs about um, focusing more on the employer experience as well as the apprenticeship experience. So I think within Consalia, we're really improving that um, and holding more employer forums. I think, um, you know, in terms of our business development and our sales team with Will and Luke, there's a lot more now where we explain what an apprenticeship is about. And, you know, Jason, for me, there is more than just letting them go off on that 20%. The, the, the employer culture is so important. Making sure that the learning is happening in that work environment is absolutely pivotal because if it doesn't, then the apprentice is going to get demotivated. If they can't come back with that learning and apply it and be supported in the application. So I think, you know, we now make sure that that really is understood as we're talking to them about bringing apprentices in and I think that's where SMEs need help because, as you say, there's less of you to do that support and provide that kind of um, learningful environment. Then how can we help SMEs 
how can we help them with that? I think is what needs is the question I really think we need to try and yeah. solve. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, I think we've probably reached the end of, of the questions of the panel. That's been so interesting. Thank you so much for taking part. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.